Good morning, everyone. All right. Um, so, my, like she said, my name is Jonathan. I'm the student pastor here at Oso Creek. If you're relatively new with us, if not, hi, good to see you again. Um, this past week, our students did go on a mission trip and uh, we got an opportunity to go down to Harlingen and uh, serve a local church and do some homeless ministry and a bunch of different things. And it was just a fantastic week. We have some of our students in here. So if you are a student and went on the mission trip or a leader and were able to go, will y'all stand up for us? Yeah. This isn't all of them. I know some of them are either still asleep because uh, it was a long week or they're serving in kids and, or whatever. Um, but we also have a short video that we want to share with y'all, just kind of a, a quick recap of the week. So if you'll join us in watching that. Yeah, it was a it was a fantastic week. Um, you saw a, a picture of like a a couple that probably none of you have ever seen before, right? And then a picture of him like with a box of mangoes. And so that was Sunny and Daisy, and they were kind of over the uh, managing the area we stayed in. And we would wake up sometimes, and they would just be in the chapel, just singing praises to the Lord. And so it was really cool, really cool opportunity for our students to go um, and serve and just see how God is using them in, in different areas. So thank you to anybody who supported and gave or went with us. And um, it was just an awesome time. So with that, uh, while we were there, we served at a VBS and the VBS was focusing on the book of Acts. Um, and really nailing down what the gospel is for these children um, and solidifying that for them. And so I thought, what better opportunity, you know, I get to preach after I come back, we're going to be in Acts. So if you have your Bible, open your, your Bible to the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter two. Um, as I've been doing seminary and being more... Um, like intentional about my study of what other people are teaching and preaching and listening to other pastors and um, really trying to expand myself as, as I, I try to grow in, in, in what the Lord has given me. Um, I've seen and, and, and noticed there's a lot of dangerous teaching out there. Um, We've got things out there like the prosperity gospel, which uh, we know is they're they're telling us that if you can if you pray or you give to the church or you give to this pastor, that God is going to bless you with money and health, and you'll never be sick and you'll always be rich and all these different things. And we've got all these different theologies that are out there that that teach counter to what Scripture says. Um, there are some that say Jesus is just one of the ways to heaven and, and he's not the way, that there are other opportunities, other ways to get to heaven. Um, some that there's this, it's called kenosis and, and it's newish, but it's been around for a long time, but it's has, it has kind of a resurgence and it's this idea that when Jesus came to earth, he wasn't fully God, that his divinity was taken away when scripture is clear that he was fully God and fully man. And there's all these like different teachers out there that are taking the word of God and they're 
changing it and they're manipulating it and they're teaching something that is not what scripture tells us. Um, and, and last week, as, as I was sitting back there doing slides, uh, listening to Pastor Greg teach, um, his last point in his sermon um, was for us to get into his word, to get into the word of God. He's been preaching on Nehemiah and, and, and talking about vision and, and getting your vision from God of what your ministry looks like or, and how he's going to use you. And his last point was get into his word. And I thought, that's perfect. That's amazing because today we're going to talk about how important the word of God is, um, how important it is for us to know it so that when somebody teaches it, we can know whether they're teaching correct or not, or we can go back and, and look and say, does that line up with what scripture actually says? Um, so we're going to read Acts chapter two. We're going to read the whole thing. So bear with me. Um, I'll try to read quick. Acts chapter two, starting in verse one, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire. Oh, thank you. She knows that for the like four hours a day, I was trying to be louder than children. So my voice is kind of on point. Um, Verse three, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. Verse 14, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be God declare, it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall turn to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand and that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. 
for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses." Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, the Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation so those who received his, word, received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is um, immediately after the disciples are, they're up in the upper room and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And we see this really cool uh, moment where where they're all speaking and everybody there can hear the words that they're speaking in their own language. And we see this first act of the Holy Spirit in, in the disciples. And then Peter just gets to dig into the word and present Jesus Christ and present God's word to these people. And it's so important that he does that because the word of God is so important to us and it is so important for us to devote ourselves to his word. Peter, the first thing he does after he's gotten the Holy Spirit as, as part of him is he, he preaches the word. He, he doesn't just talk about his own ideas, his own thoughts, but instead he quotes from Joel. He quotes from all these different Old Testament scriptures. He said, this is the word of God and this is what I'm gonna use to teach you about Jesus Christ because Everything in this Bible points to Jesus Christ. Whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, it all points to Jesus Christ. And so it is, an, it is important for us as, as believers in, after the, the book of Acts and in this time and era to devote ourselves to the word of God. It's so important. Um, and it's important for a couple of reasons. Our, our first reason 
is that God reveals himself as the word. The word of God is not just his spoken word, but it is who he is. Um, If you turn your Bibles to John chapter 1, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 1, verse 1. I put my paper clips in here, but there it is. John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now the prevailing thought and idea here, because Jesus Christ came and all this scripture points to Jesus Christ, is speaking about Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. In the beginning, the word. The word is talking about Jesus Christ. All these words that that speak of him and point to him. And God is revealing that he is the word. That Jesus Christ is not separate. Yes, they are three, but they are also one. And that the word is not separate from who God is. That when we read these scriptures, that it's not just words from some man who wrote them down thousands upon thousands of years ago, but that this is the actual word of God. And God is with us because we have this word. John chapter one tells us that this word, Jesus Christ, has been with God and part of God and is God from the very beginning. So it's important for us to devote ourselves to the word because the word is God. His word is God. Secondly, it's important because God reveals himself through this word. He doesn't just reveal himself as the word, but he reveals himself through this word. In Hebrews chapter 11, next one. Hebrews chapter 11, verse three, it says, by faith we understand that the universe was created and by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are invisible. Jesus, God, is revealing that through his word that he is the creator. He reveals things about himself through his word. Through his word, we know that he is a creator. We could look back at Genesis and see that he created all things. In in multiple instances, he reveals, I am the one who created. He reveals himself through his word. In Mark chapter one, we're gonna flip a bunch. So Mark chapter one and verse 25, it says, But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. Through the word of God, Jesus casts out demons. Through the word of God, Jesus, God has power over Satan, over demons, over evil, over these things that afflict us. In chapter two of Mark, verse 10, it says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Jesus speaks, and a man is healed. A lame man can walk, and he shows, and he says, I have authority not only to heal, but I have the authority to forgive sins. In Mark chapter four, verse 39, it says, 
And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Through the word of God, God reveals that he has power over nature. He has power over the things that, that we look at and, and there's beauty and the things that are frightening. He has power over the lions that, that didn't eat. He has power over all these animals, powers over nature, power over the sea, power over the winds, over the storms, over the calm. Through his word, he reveals that to us. And Luke chapter seven. In verse 14, it says, then he came up and touched the beer, the buyer, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. Jesus speaks and the dead are raised. We all know the story of Lazarus, as Lazarus was dead for three days, and and Jesus spoke and called him out. His sisters were, were, were so broken, but they knew that Jesus Christ, if he had been there, that Lazarus wouldn't have died. But Jesus speaks, and death has no power. God has power over death. In Luke chapter 18, Verse 42, it says, and Jesus said to him, recover your sight, your faith has, been made, has made you well. Again, Jesus speaks and the blind see. The word of God, the words from Jesus Christ overcome all these different things, overcome death, overcome lameness, overcome blindness, overcome muteness, overcome the world, the nature, the beast, the word of God has power, and God reveals that he has that power. He is that power over all these things. In Romans chapter 10, and this is probably my favorite one. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. As somebody who who lives not in biblical times and didn't get the opportunity to walk with Jesus Christ in the flesh. My best communication with God, my best idea of who God is, my best way to get close to him and know him is through his word. I don't have the opportunity to stand next to Jesus and hear him preach I don't get the opportunity to stand next to Jesus and see him multiply loaves of of bread and fish to feed thousands of people and have baskets left over. But I have his word. I have his word, and through his word, I can have faith in him. Without his word, I can't have faith. If Jesus Christ, if this Bible, if these words were not written down, if God didn't give them to somebody to give to us, We can't have faith. God wouldn't be revealed to us. There's this, there's two types of revelation. There's general revelation and there's specific revelation. General revelation means that I can go outside and I can see that the flowers are pretty. I can see that the sun is bright. I can see that the wind breeze is cooling and I can see that the water is is cool to the touch and and the waves are are massive and strong and I can somebody had to have created this there has to be a higher power 
I can see all that and have that understanding. Specific revelation is that it's God that did that. That we know who it is and that he does so much more. Not only does he have power over that and created all of that, but he has power over our health. He has power over everything that we come into contact with. We see time and time again in scripture as, as Jesus teaches or in the Old Testament as we see the Israelites go up and down in their relationship with God that God does this and God does that and God did that and God was with so and so and God found, somebody found favor in God's sight. It's God. That's specific revelation through his word, through him revealing himself to us through his word. That's how we know him. That's how we can come to know him. And we see an example in, in 1 Samuel of a time when God, God's word wasn't prevalent. In 1 Samuel chapter, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent visions. The word for visions here sometimes is translated to revelations. It says the, the word of the Lord was rare. This is a time when, when Samuel is about to be called to be a prophet. Eli has been the prophet of this time for, for a while, and, and God has cast judgment on his family, on his two sons, and he has said, no longer are you going to be my prophet. I'm going to raise somebody else up to be the prophet of God. And that is Samuel. The prophets have, have, have stopped hearing from God. They're getting no more revelation. They're getting no more visions. They're getting no more understanding from God or word for the people of Israel. And so God is calling somebody else. He's calling Samuel to come do that. And then we see in verse 21 of that same chapter, it says, and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This man that God is going to bring up to be the prophet that, that brings David to the people of Israel, that anoints David as king, the, arguably the greatest king outside of Jesus Christ that the people of Israel have ever seen to be the one that comes after King Saul, who, who, who led the people down a, a really dark path and, and became obsessed with power. Samuel hears the word of God. God reveals himself to Samuel through his word. We think about Moses and he sees the burning bush, but it's not until God speaks that Moses understands who it is. We see time and time again that, that people gain understanding for who God is after he speaks. It is the word of God that reveals to us who God is. So it's important for us to devote ourselves to the word. But in Acts chapter two, we see Peter do something more than that. We see Peter preaching. We see Peter teaching. And so not only is it important for us to devote ourselves to the word, but it is important for us to devote ourselves to preaching the word, to preaching his word. Again, in Acts chapter two, verse 14, it says, but Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. 
Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. His first act is to preach the word of God. And now I hear what you say. Okay, Jonathan, yeah, that's cool. That's, that's your job. That's, that's Greg's job. That's, um, you know, that's children's pastor. That's, you gotta be a professional Christian. That's your job, right? No. As a believer in Jesus Christ, it is every one of our responsibility to teach and preach the word of God. You may not stand up in a pulpit. You may not stand in front of a classroom. You may not have an audience of a hundred or a thousand or a million. You may have an audience of one, but our responsibility as believers is to preach and teach the word of God. Because if it's not for us, our children don't know the word of God. Mothers and fathers, your responsibility is to preach and teach the word of God to your children. Students, your responsibility is to preach and teach the word of God to your peers. Grandparents, it's your responsibility to preach and teach the word of God to those that are under you. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what stage of life we are in. It is our responsibility as believers in Christ to preach and teach the word of God. Every single one of us. As a preacher, as somebody who preaches the word of God, which we all should do, our job is not hard. Our job as preachers, we expose the voice of God. Our job is to expose the voice of God. That means that, that we take God's word and we say, this is what it says. This is the word of God. It is not my responsibility to make it interesting. It is not my responsibility to make it great. It is great on its own. It is not my responsibility to fluff it up with extra stuff. We add extra stuff because, you know, we're people and, and we have to garner interest, right? But the word of God speaks for it ourselves. We are to expose it to those that need to hear it. As preachers, we are to exalt the greatness of God. We take God's word, we say this is what the word of God says, and then we point to the greatness of God. We see it in Acts chapter two as Peter is preaching. In verse 17, he says, in the last day it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall see dreams. In verse 22, he said, men of Israel, hear the words of Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. In verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24, God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
time and time again in Peter's very first sermon to so many people, he says, God did this and God did that and God did this and God did that and God did it all. The problem with, with what happens a lot of times and why we see this, these different theologies or these different doctrines or these dangerous teaching movements is because preaching is either one of two things. It's either man-centered or it's God-centered. And when we preach man-centered uh, from the pulpit, we get dangerous teaching. When we are preaching man-centered, we, we get prosperity gospel that tells us that if we give to the church or we give to this pastor, that we will become rich. Or that if, if we allow this one pastor to pray for us after we've given him money, then we'll be healed completely and we'll never have any maladies again. Man-centered gospel is looking at Genesis chapter 39 where Joseph is in the house of Potiphar and he's being tempted by Potiphar's wife and it's like, be holy, be pure, be righteous, be more like Joseph, resist temptation. Those are all really good things that we should do and we should strive to do. But when we preach God-centered, it's God was with Joseph. That God was with Joseph. That Joseph found favor, favor with God. It changes the hero of the story from Joseph to God. Man-centered preaching is looking at the story of David and Goliath and saying, let's be David, let's slay our Goliath. Man, I'm, I, I really want a better job, so I'm gonna slay my Goliath and I'm gonna go to school and I'm gonna be smarter and I'm gonna apply to all these places, right? Man, I've got this thing in my life that I just need to overcome, that's my Goliath, I'm gonna slay it like David. God-centered preaching is God was with David. God guided the stone that killed Goliath. God allowed David to be there. God orchestrated and designed and did all these things. It changes the hero of the story from David to God. As we, if we read that story and we won't jump to it, but in verse 37 and verse 30, 46, it says the Lord was with David. And in those moments, he's, he is conquering because God was with him. Pastor Greg has been preaching through Nehemiah and, and, and you could walk into any Christian bookstore and you could probably find four to 25 books on leadership based on how Nehemiah did things, Right? And we could read the book of Nehemiah just like Pastor Greg has been doing and, and we can see all these great leadership qualities that Nehemiah has, but the problem with man-centered um, preaching is that we get to verses like, oh, I went the wrong way, sorry. Ooh. As we get to verses like chapter, Nehemiah chapter 13, so let's just imagine here for a second, we're going through a leadership uh, seminar and we're in Nehemiah. We wanna lead like Nehemiah. So we get to chapter 13, verse 23, and it says this. In those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of the people. Okay, cool, yeah. Nehemiah sees that the people are doing wrong. Verse 25, and I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourself. So let's lead like Nehemiah. When somebody does something wrong, let's beat them and pull out their hair, right? No. 
The book of Nehemiah is not about what Nehemiah is doing. It is what about, it's about what God is doing through Nehemiah. I don't want to lead like Nehemiah. I want to lead like God leads Nehemiah. I want God to lead me. That's what happens when we change our preaching to man-centered instead of God-centered. When we lose focus on the word of God. When the, the word of God is not instrumental in who we are. When we're not preaching exactly what scripture tells us. I'm, I'm not very musical. Um, my wife can attest to this. Uh, she's tried to teach me piano multiple times and um, I think she cries every time. <laughs> she, I, in elementary school, I played the recorder and so I thought, oh, I could play the clarinet. She played the clarinet, I could do it. They're similar-ish, right? And in an instant, it squealed really high-pitched and she like, <clears throat> like, and she took it away from me. Um, <laughs> But one of the things I love about music, just because I can't perform music doesn't mean I don't love it, I love music. One of the things I love about it is that it's given us an opportunity to worship God. It gives us an opportunity to exalt him. It gives us an opportunity to, to sing praises about the things that he does. Um, and I love worship and I love it and I love it and our worship team does amazing but musical worship is not the only way that we can exalt God. One of the ways that we can exalt God is by magnifying his word. As we, we study his scripture, as we dig into this Bible and, and, and our, his words become saturated inside of our heart and we know them not because we can Google them really quickly, but we know them because they're part of who we are now. We can magnify, magnify his voice, literally doing the job of this microphone. We take the word of God and we, we shout it louder to other people. We take the word of God and we, we repeat it over and over again. We take the word of God and we say, you haven't heard it, here it is. You haven't heard it, here it is. You can't hear it in the back. Here's the word of God. This is what it says. In order to magnify the word of God, we have to minimize our own voice. We have to lower ourselves so that we can raise him up, so that we can praise him, to exalt him. Not that he needs us to. Not that God is dependent on our praise or dependent on us exalting him. But if we want to be devoted to him, if we want God's word to change our lives, if we want to be used by God, if the story of our life, if we want that to be God was with you. God found favor with you. God saw you do this and he was excited. God saw you do this and he was grateful. God saw you do this and he loved it. And God used you and worked through you. If we want that to be the story of our life, we have to minimize who we are and our voice and magnify the, God, the voice of God. So yes, it is so important that we devote ourselves to the word of God and we are devoting ourselves to preaching and teaching the word of God to every single person. That's why I loved this week, this past week. I got to see our students interact with kids, some of whom have probably never heard the gospel, some of whom have probably never opened a Bible, some of whom have probably lived in homes that, that if they spoke the word of God or if they said God's name, that they might 
get grounded. They might get beaten. They might get no dinner. I got to see our kids interact with them and be the light of God to them, to talk about Acts and to talk about Saul and how God used Saul and, and this man who persecuted Christians to advance the kingdom of God, to talk to them about how Peter was in prison, but God sent an angel to free him and how God worked in his life. I got to see our students sit with, with people who don't have homes and give them a meal and just hear their life story. I got to see our students excited about buying tiny little gifts for, for children that are in an emergency shelter that we didn't think we would get to see because they're not letting anybody else in, but we got to walk in and we got to see a few of them and, and see the, the joy that just this tiny little thing puts on their, in their hearts. I got to see our students be exhausted from going all day and then show up to a VBS at 4.30, eat a little bit of dinner really early because 4.30 is really early to eat dinner. If anybody does that, let's talk to me. I'm gonna correct you on that. And then pour into these kids and then get back to the dorms and just be exhausted but just so filled with joy. It'd be 11.30 at night and, and, and the girls are in the conference room and they're just like, It was like, no, okay, go to sleep. That's what the word of God does. The, God, the word of God gives us so much joy and so much hope and so much purpose. It is so essential to our lives. When we preach man-centered gospel, we essentially are preaching motivational speeches. And God's word is not a motivational speech. It is life-changing. I know quite a bit of you, most of you, of some of you I've probably never met before. Some of you I've known since Lauren and I have been here in Corpus. And I know that there are difficult stories out there and I know that, that we've been through some things. I know that there are people that are concerned for the life of a loved one. I know that there are people that are contemplating divorce. I know that there are people that have, have lost loved ones. I know that there are people that are suffering with pain and suffering from ailments. And I know that there are people that are suffering in all these different ways out here in this audience and in the lives of, of our loved ones. And that's why God's word is more than just a motivational speech. A motivational speech encourages you to do better. God's word is life-changing. God's word gives us joy in the suffering. God's word gives us joy in the good times. God's word gives us joy and hope and perseverance. As leaders, we, got, we wrote cards to the students, and um, one of our students had... We'd been working at a warehouse and, and literally just taking soap out of a box and putting it in a bag and putting that bag in a box so that they could distribute it to people. And at the end of it, one of our students, their feet were hurting so bad that they couldn't walk. She couldn't feel her feet. And I, and I saw in her this desire 
to not be a burden, to, to continue working, to continue being a part of this group. And I couldn't help but be amazed at the perseverance that she had. God's word does that for us. And Jake, y'all can go ahead and come up. In 2 Corinthians chapter four, I wanna read three verses. Chapter four, verse four, it says this. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has veiled, nope, sorry, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan, the God of this world, is blinding believers and non-believers alike from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is lifting up men who preach false doctrine and false teaching and manipulate and twist the word of God. Satan is, from the very beginning, if we look in Genesis, he doesn't change completely the word of God. He manipulates it a little bit. He said, did God really say this? Well, he said this, but what he means is this. Satan manipulates the word of God and he raises up men to do the same, to blind us from the word of God, from the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse six of 2 Corinthians chapter four, it says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ. The gospel, the word of God is a light in our life and Satan is trying to blind us from that. And then the beautiful part in verse five, in between these two, where we see the darkness from Satan and the light from Jesus Christ, verse five, it says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. Satan is blinding and darkening this world and our job is to preach Jesus Christ and the gospel to everybody, which is light. I know that I am tired and I know that I am not perfect and I know that I am broken and I know that I have pains in my life that haunt me to this day. That I do things in my life because of things that have happened in the past. That I've been hurt, that I've been broken and I know that all of y'all have been hurt and you've been broken. And that Satan has manipulated the word of God to deceive you and deceive this world. But the word of God shines light and shines brighter than any darkness. The word of God brings us into the light of God. This is not some book that gives us good feelings and allows us to have a better day. This is a book that we live our life by. This is a book that is a living piece of God that changes us day in and day out. I challenge you to, to, to pick a verse and read it every single day and God will teach you something different every single day because God's word is alive. His word is so important to us so that we know it and we can teach it so that when other people are teaching it, we can defend whether that's true or not. When somebody says something, no, scripture doesn't say that. 
Scripture tells us actually the opposite. Let's devote ourselves to the Word of God. Let's be like Peter when we had the first opportunity to teach somebody about the Word of God and, and overcome with the Holy Spirit that we used His Word. It wasn't Peter's words, it wasn't Peter's ideas, it was the Word of God that he used. Devote yourselves to the word of God. Scripture tells us that if we don't follow Jesus Christ, if we're not putting our faith and trust in him, that the word of God is like gibberish. That if Christ is not part of our life, we can read this book all day and it means nothing because it's like gibberish. And I've spent time with students and gibberish is un. You can't understand it. The only way for this book, these words, this life-changing message to change your life is you gotta be a part of the kingdom of God. I want that for you. I wanna see God's word implanted in your life, changing you. I wanna see God's word spewing from your mouth to those that are around you. I want to see God's word break up the darkness in your life. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't have that relationship, if you're not a part of the kingdom of God, I want to talk to you and I want to share that with you so much. I'm going to be over there. We have elders in this room. We have leaders in this room. We have ministers in this room. We have parents. We have people in this room that want you to know about Jesus Christ. Come talk to one of us. Let us share the light with you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, that it is not some book that we can just throw away and forget about, Lord, but that it is something that sticks to our heart. That it is something that changes who we are because of you. I pray that we can devote ourselves to your word, that we can see your word and that we can not let it out of our sight. That we're so in love with it and in love with you that we want it with us constantly on a daily basis. And then I pray that we can take that and we can share with others. That we don't have to stand in a pulpit to teach your word. We don't have to stand in a classroom to teach your word, Lord, but that we just have to talk to somebody. I pray that you bring people to us that need to hear your word, Lord. That we can take the darkness that Satan is putting in this world and we can banish it with the light of God. I pray that as, as a body of believers that it, we can be devoted to your word and through that we can make changes in Corpus Christi. We can make changes in Nueces County. We can make changes in Texas and in the United States that we can do as your scripture commands and we can bring the word to the ends of the world. Thank you for your word. We love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.